0: praise god praise god praise god hallelujah thank you jesus thank you jesus praise god praise god it is it is truly a privilege to be back in the house of the lord this morning and we do want to say to our guests today thank you so much for being here i want to join with brother brandon in welcoming you to new life pentecostal church We want you to know that we are thrilled that you've chosen to come and worship the Lord with us. Amen. Thank you so very, very much for being here. This is your first time in an apostolic church. Our worship may seem a little different to you, a little unusual. Amen. But uh, we are just expressing the absolute love and adoration we have for the King of Kings. Amen. Praise God. Folks don't mind expressing their admiration for their heroes, uh, sports figures, uh, music uh, personalities, uh, movie stars. Folks will openly and vibrantly express their feelings about those individuals. But then they think we ought to come to church and do nothing. And we just, uh, here at New Life, we feel a little differently about things. We think that if there is anyone who deserves for us to show the way we feel about them, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He deserves us being vocal about the way we feel about him and what he's done for us amen and i can tell you that if you give us the opportunity we would be more than happy to sit down with you with the word of god and show you our form of worship in the bible it really is there amen the bible teaches us to do the things that we do and here at new life we believe that the bible is the only source of absolute truth and we believe that If it's written in the scripture, it's there for a purpose. God intends for us to do something about it. Amen. And so we do our best, if it's in the Bible, to practice it. Amen. That is the reason why we worship the way we do. Praise God. Uh, I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning. We're going to go back to the book of Ezekiel. I do beg your indulgence this morning. Uh, I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm simply explaining. Uh, we got to bed last night probably between 12.30 and 1.00 and then got a phone call I think about 1.30 that uh, Sister Jennifer Shaw had, uh, was in the hospital and looked like she was going to be delivering a baby very uh, early and um, about a month early. And so they asked us to pray. We began to pray. Uh, tried to go back to sleep about three o'clock. They called us and said uh, that baby's decided it doesn't want to wait. And so we have been at the hospital this morning and uh, happy to report that to the best of our knowledge when we left, uh, there was a healthy baby girl and uh, mother was doing well. And we're thankful for that. Uh, However, I am only human and a lack of sleep does tend to affect um, my ability to uh, pursue cognitive reasoning and um, I've caught myself several times already this morning trying to say things and I knew it just wasn't coming out the way I was trying to say it so please especially to our guest today don't judge new life based on today understand this is the life of a pastor and I don't begrudge it at all it is a joy to be able to be there for the birth of children uh, just asking you to understand that uh, I may have a little bit of trouble this morning trying to get my thoughts together, but we're going to do our best. That's why we thank God for notes. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. Thank God for uh, notes. And um, hopefully we will we will do all right. Amen. Ezekiel, we're, we're going to uh, read again from chapter 1. And... Um, beginning with verse 1, read the first three verses here, and uh, we've been doing this, we have been uh, for a couple of years now actually, going through the Bible on Sunday morning, starting in the book of Genesis in the very beginning, and uh, trying to hit the overview uh, of each book of the Bible, trying to understand what it's about, Uh, at least that was our original intent. As we have gotten into it and gone through it, we have begun to dig deeper and deeper as we go, spending more and more time on each uh, book of the Bible, it seems, and um, Ezekiel has certainly been no uh, exception to that. Uh, Today will be the sixth lesson that we've had from this book, and I can assure you we will not finish today. However, I also want to assure you, I hope to get us at least to the halfway point. And um, having said that, that was my intent last week as well. And someone very kindly pointed out to me, we actually only covered a half of a chapter last week. And uh, so we didn't make a lot of progress as far as uh, distance through the book. However, I do feel like we've made some progress uh, not only in our understanding of Ezekiel as a prophet and the things that he said but even spiritual progress I believe that God is accomplishing and teaching us things and showing us things from his word. Amen. Amen. The Bible is the only book on the face of the earth that in spite of its age is still relevant to today's society. Amen. There is a move among many churches uh, the, the, the battle cry it seems is let 's become more relevant. amen. And um, i 've watched as fads and movements have come and gone, as people have tried to adjust to society. The amazing thing about the Bible is that there's no adjustment needed. Uh, it may be, it may be two thousand years old in its completion. Some books more than that Uh, However, it's still relevant You can't say that about Shakespeare You can't say that about uh, Homer You can't say that about any other ancient document But the Bible still relates to us today Amen In fact, I heard someone say uh, That this week marks the 400th anniversary Of the King James Version of the Bible and uh, that's a long time for a book to remain on a bestseller list and yet it has done so and continues to do so and uh, we still use the King James around here not that I think it's the only thing that we can use but there is a beauty and an eloquence that is found in the King James Bible that just doesn't exist in any other translation or version Amen. Amen. and I've read several of them and uh, studied several of them. But there are none to compare to the poetic beauty that exists in the King James. Amen. I know some of the terms are antiquated. But, you know, a good dictionary or, or a Bible concordance will take care of any problems you have when it comes to understanding a word. It's just a matter of doing what the Bible tells us to do to study to show ourselves approved. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Kebar, and the hand of the Lord was there Upon him. And so today we are, as I said, picking up with part six of our study of the book of Ezekiel. I will say to our guests that if you would like a copy of the previous lessons uh, on this book, you can stop by the sound booth and we will provide you with a free CD uh, of the lessons. Now they are available online as well for free download, but If you would like to have a physical copy of the CD, just stop by and let them know. And uh, we will see to it that you get a copy free of charge. Uh, And we do that when we're in the midst of a series. So today we are asking you, put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices, lift your hearts. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's ask him to speak to us today as we continue in our study of Ezekiel. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody. Thank you, God, for your goodness. I appreciate you, God. I am asking you, oh, Lord, to you, that you would hear us today. I need the touch of the Holy Ghost. I ask you, God, that you would use me today, God. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts through the pages of your word. I pray, God, that somehow the anointing of the Holy Ghost would go beyond the physical limitations, God, that I'm experiencing today. That you would help me, oh, Lord God, in the delivery of your word. I ask you, Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord together. Everybody, let's praise him right now. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Hallelujah. i love you jesus i love you jesus i love you jesus praise god praise god god bless you you may be seated uh for the sake of those who have not been a part of the study i want to do just a basic uh review of of um the the concepts of this book before we get into the chapters themselves and we will be starting today in chapter 18 of the book of ezekiel if you'd like to Uh, turn there and be ready we're going to be dealing with uh the book from that point forward this morning and see uh, how far we can make it uh but let me just let me tell you a few things about the book first of all the basic message of the book is recognizing God's sovereignty uh it was the job of the prophet Ezekiel to remind the Jewish people that Jehovah was God. That he was their Lord. That they were to serve him. Now that, that sounds like a redundant thing for a prophet, for a preacher to have to say to quote unquote church people. But I found a lot of people who want to go around calling themselves Christians. Who seem to forget that God really is supposed to be in charge of every aspect of their life. We're not just supposed to be a Christian when it comes to our church attendance. But we're supposed to be a Christian when it comes to our business dealings. When it comes to our relationships with one another. Well, hallelujah. Every aspect of our life ought to be governed by what God. God expects and desires out of us and the Jewish people during this period of history uh, seem to have forgotten that in fact they though they claimed to still be worshipers of Jehovah uh, they had their own idols they had their own religion That they really had developed that was outside of what the scripture had declared for them. And so it was that God had to send a heathen nation to take his people into captivity to remind them that Jehovah was in charge. You you see this idea repeated throughout the book of Ezekiel. Uh, As you read through it some 70 times in the book you will see the phrase they shall know that I am the lord amen and the whole idea i am the lord we you know we use that word lord as though it were just an interchangeable term with god but it's really not the word lord is is another word for a master it is one who rules over another so when he said i want them to know that i am lord he wasn't just saying i'm god in heaven But he was saying, I'm supposed to be their master. I'm supposed to be calling the shots in their life. I'm supposed to be the the one who determines what they will do and what they won't do. Well, praise God. And so he reminded them, some 70 times reminded them. and, and, And saying to them, when I get through with you, you will know who's in charge here you will know that I, I am the Lord. Now, Ezekiel prophesied during the same basic time period as both Jeremiah and Daniel. Uh, One of the things that I have pointed out to you as we've studied through this and even pointed it out back during our study of Kings and Chronicles Uh, many 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 months ago um, was that the city of jerusalem when it was overthrown was actually overthrown three times it it was uh, there were three times that nebuchadnezzar sent his army into the city of jerusalem and each time they took away captives and each time they did more destruction to the city and, and it's important that you remember that little fact. That's not just a piece of trivia. But it's, it's important that you remember that there were three different times. And in each of these times of carrying away captive uh, captives, uh, one of these three prophets was carried away. They were carried away at different times. Uh, Daniel went in the first carrying away. And he served God in the palace of the heathen king. We talked about that. Um, not only in the first lesson, but we kind of got hung up on that during last week's review as well, talking about how you need to learn to serve God, wherever you are, whatever your circumstance, Daniel was serving in a pretty difficult circumstance. Daniel believed that Jehovah was the only God, yet he was serving a man that, that worshiped many gods, but he did it faithfully. He executed his job faithfully. Amen. and never compromised his convictions uh, and so there was Daniel in the palace carried away in the first overthrow the first siege uh, of Jerusalem and then uh, Ezekiel was carried away in the second siege and he was serving God among the captive people that were living there in Babylon he wasn't in authority, he wasn't in the palace he was just one of the people But he was one of the people God chose to put his hand on and use in a very special way. And then Jeremiah was actually carried away in the third and final uh, overthrow of Jerusalem. So he remained behind in the city while Daniel was prophesying in the palace. And Ezekiel was prophesying among the captives. Jeremiah was back there with the remnant that was still in Jerusalem, still prophesying to them. But all three men were living during the same basic time period. Uh, and, and so we, we understand that. Now, now um, Ezekiel was evidently quite a bit younger than Jeremiah was. But, uh, and some people believe that he was even um, a student of Jeremiah's. We don't know that but it is, it is thought that that's a possibility. Now, we have talked about the outline of the book. And again, I don't want to go through that. Uh, outline in detail but just so you'll know and remember uh, chapters 1 through 3 of Ezekiel deal with the call of this man of God when God calls him into uh, the position of a prophet and then chapters 4 through 24 which is where we have been now for many weeks um, is God's judgment on the city of Jerusalem and all of these chapters uh, chapters 4 through 24 are dealing with with the judgment that is coming and by the time we get to chapter 24 we see it happening uh, on this city of jerusalem and then chapters 25 through 32 uh detail god's judgment on other nations uh besides israel god's going to judge the ammonites he's going to judge the moabites he's going to judge the egyptians uh on and on god begins to address these other nations that he's going to judge just like he judged israel and then in chapters 33 through 48 these chapters actually discuss the coming restoration. And here was the idea. If you take the book of Ezekiel as a whole. What you're going to find are warnings. 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 Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. you got to turn around. you got to change. you got to get a hold of God. you got to get back to where you belong spiritually. Judgment comes. And when it comes, it's devastating. And then God looks around at the other nations and says, look, don't sit there and laugh at what's happened to Israel because your day's coming. But in the midst of all of this declaration of judgment, the bright spot of it all are these last chapters. Because what you see here is that God says, it doesn't matter what I have allowed to happen to my people. I have an ultimate plan for them and it ain't over yet, honey. It's not done yet. I may have allowed them to be carried captive, but I'm going to take them back to the promised land. I have things in store for them. Hallelujah. Amen. At church, this is a very important lesson for us to learn. Because God never, never, never just judges his people. God disciplines his people but is with a goal of bringing them to better things. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. And God had a better plan for his people than what they had experienced up until this point. He really did. And Ezekiel is, is, is uh, there, there are some very, very bright spots in Ezekiel when Ezekiel actually begins to talk about things that no other prophet up until this point has discussed. God gives Ezekiel some insight into some things that are important. Ezekiel saw our day. Ezekiel saw the church age. Well, hallelujah. And so uh, we'll talk about that when, when we get there. But, but we do need to understand that uh, these last chapters were the bright spot where god was letting them know this is not the end we're not going to end in judgment but i do have plans for a coming restoration now having said that we are as i said in the second division of this outline chapters 4 through 24 up through this point um we are now ready to start in chapter 18 and that's where we're going to begin if you've got your bibles open we're going to start with chapter 18 now i will tell you again as i've said each week we're not going to look at every chapter we can't Uh, we could we could spend many many months on each book if we went chapter by chapter we're not doing that but we are trying to Pull some things out and glean some things uh, that are of special significance. It's all important. And I don't want anybody to think that just because I don't deal with a verse, it wasn't important. It's all important. But there are some things that carry special significance that I want us to look at. So Ezekiel chapter 18. And um, there are several things in this chapter. In fact, it would be very, very easy for me to get into chapter 18 and do what I did in chapter 16 and uh, take more than one week just on this one chapter because of the, the many, many important subjects that are addressed in Ezekiel 18. Let's, let's look here uh, at the first one, Ezekiel
1: chapter 18 and verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And then again in verse 20, he says. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Okay, now
0: just leave this verse up for just a minute now. Now twice, he says it in verse 4. He comes back and says it in verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now I want to tell you something that is an eternal principle of the scripture that's not just a word of warning to the jews in ezekiel's day it is a principle in fact the apostle paul stated this same principle when he said in in the book of romans the wages of sin wait a minute wait a minute don't don't just rush by that next word. The wages of sin is, not was. It's not past tense. The wages of sin is death. Right now. Paul writing in the church age, in, the, in, in what uh, so many folks call the age of grace. Paul states to the Christians that right now the wages of sin is death. That doesn't change. That's an eternal principle. And and we need to understand you cannot live in sin and get by. Sin brings death. I'm telling you, sin is a spiritual poison you can't drink it and survive you can't live in sin don't give me this stuff of man's got to sin a little bit every day that's a popular doctrine but it's not a bible doctrine you know if you have to sin every day that tells me you are the servant of sin I'm not the servant of sin. I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. And he whom the Son has made free is free indeed. That doesn't mean I never make a mistake. Doesn't mean I never slip up. But it does mean I'm not a slave to sin. I do not have to sin every day. That's nonsense. And scripturally, it's false doctrine. I'm telling you, the soul that sinneth. Now, he didn't say the exception is if you've accepted Christ. Paul didn't say, well, as long as you call yourself a Christian, then you get, you know, it's a different story. No, the wages of sin is death. It's that way for everybody. None of us can live in sin and get by. Remember, this was not a heathen nation that Ezekiel was prophesying to at this point. These were the quote unquote people of God. And God said to them, the soul that sins, it shall die. You, you Jews... You who are so proud of your lineage. You who are so proud that you can trace your genealogy back to Abraham. I want you to understand Abraham may be your father, but that doesn't get you out of this. Right. Right. Amen. Just because Abraham is your father doesn't mean you're not going to pay the same price that everybody else pays. And the soul that sins, it shall die. Now again, some of these small words are extremely significant. Because the the real stress of this is the soul that sinneth. What's that next word? It simple word, small word, right? But there is an emphasis that is placed there because of what he goes on to say. It's the soul that sins that's going to die. What do you mean, Ezekiel? Well... What I mean is the son is not going to die because his dad was a sinner. And neither is a dad going to die because his son is a sinner. Boy, I I could really spend some time right here. Because again, the philosophy of modern society is, well, your dad was an alcoholic, you're going to be an alcoholic. Your dad was abusive, you're gonna be abusive. You're a victim, you can't escape this. They wanna write off mass murderers. Well, he didn't have a good relationship with his dad. He probably didn't have a good relationship with anybody. But that doesn't excuse what he did. And here's what God said. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care what your daddy's done. I don't care how bad your daddy's been. You can do it differently. There's hope for you. You can change. You don't have to die because your daddy died. You don't have to be a drunkard because your daddy's a drunkard. You don't have to be abusive because your daddy's abusive. You have a choice. You can make a decision. You can choose to do differently than daddy did. Well, hallelujah. You make the choice. And you will either reap the benefits or suffer the consequences. Based on you and your choice now again there are so many ways to go with this because the other side of the coin is just as true just because your daddy is a righteous man just because you know I want to tell you something my own children don't have a guarantee of eternal life just because their daddy's a preacher you hear me god looks at every soul individually now this was important to these jewish people because remember their big thing is abraham's our father wasn't that the refrain they sang over and over and over when jesus walked the earth they kept reminding him, abraham is our father abraham is our father and and if i could give you the rig and revised version god is saying big deal So what? And really that's what Jesus said in so many words. He said, I want to tell you something. If you were really the children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. Abraham believed God. Abraham followed God. Abraham made sacrifices for God. Abraham walked away from his entire family to obey the voice of God. You won't listen to anything God has to say. I don't care if Abraham is your dad. That doesn't matter. That doesn't save you. Somebody said many years ago, and it's a true statement, God doesn't have any grandkids. You're not saved because your parents are saved. You're not born saved because your parents are Christians. You got to make a choice. And your parents can be the most godly people on the face of the earth. But if you choose to sin, you're going to die just like the rank sinner. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, the next thing that Ezekiel deals with, another subject that is extremely important. Begins in the very next verse. This is verse 20. Let's go on to verse 21 and read down through verse 24.
1: But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed. And keep all my statutes. And do that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. He shall not die.
0: Oh God. I could, I'm telling you. I, I could get right in here in this passage and be here the rest of the morning. It would be very, very easy for me. But, but listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. If If the wicked will turn from his sins and keep my statutes,
1: he shall not die. Read. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. In the righteousness that he's done, he's going to live. Read. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. Uh-huh. But when the righteous turneth from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, and them shall he die.
0: Now... I'll come back to verse 24 in a minute, but let's, let's focus first of all, on verses 21 to 23. Here's what God says. God said, I, I want you to understand that it doesn't matter how you've lived up to this moment. I'm willing to start something brand new right now, right here today. All right. Now friend, you don't get an offer like that just anywhere. You know, some of you right now are buried under mountains of debt. How would you feel if all of a sudden you got a phone call and it said, look, I know you got a lot of debt. I know you owe a lot of money. But as of this moment, we're starting clean. Everything's taken care of. You got a brand new slate. You don't owe one penny to anybody. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't be acting like that. Uh, I don't care how unemotional, unemotional you try to tell me you are. You'd be a little bit more excited than what you're showing right now. Everything's paid for. Your car's paid for. Your house is paid for. All your credit cards are paid off. Now, just go and live debt free. Don't do it again. I'm telling you, you don't get offers like that. But God makes that offer to anybody and everybody. The mass murderer we mentioned a while ago, I'm telling you, I don't care if he has killed a thousand people. If he'll turn to God and truly repent and obey the scripture and do what the Bible tells him to do, God will erase every bit of that. And say, I'm going to start you off clean and new. You've got a brand new life from this day forward. Hallelujah. 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 Now, now, listen, again, I, I cannot stress enough. We get to reading some of these Old Testament verses and folks sometimes get confused to think that there was a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. And they're different their personalities are different the way they do that's not true he said i am the lord i change not he didn't change from old testament to new testament and i can take you to verse after verse that backs up the very same principles in the new testament in the new testament in the new testament a woman is brought to jesus caught in the very act of adultery The law says when you're caught in adultery you are put to death by stoning. Now here was the problem. The problem was that's what Jewish law said but Roman law did not allow that to happen. So the Jews thought they would trip Jesus up. They caught a woman in the act of adultery now this is just a side note for what it's worth I've often wondered what happened to the man they caught her in the act so they caught him too I don't know I don't know what happened to him I have no idea what happened you know he may have been in that crowd hollering stoner It wouldn't be the first time, nor the last. Um, But anyhow, they bring her to to Jesus and said, Master, we caught her in the very act, and the law says stone her. What are we going to do with her? Now, you understand the dilemma. Jesus is standing here. Jesus has a choice he either says, yes, stone her, and if he does, he violates the Roman law, the law of the country, the law of the land. Or he says, no, don't stone her, and violates Jewish law, the law of their religion. Either way, in the minds of these people, Jesus is trapped. They don't know God very well, do they? he's always got an option we don't think of. This is one of the reasons why I tell people it's not always best to put a fleece before the Lord, say, Lord, you know, do this or do this. That's not always the best way because God sometimes has a third option we've never considered. Yeah. Amen. And so here they're telling Jesus, are we going to stone her or are we going to let her go? Which law are we going to obey here? And which law are we going to break? But either way, you're a lawbreaker so Jesus says he stoops down he writes in the sand and he says uh, let him that is without sin cast the first stone you've never done anything wrong you've never committed sin you go ahead and start you start the process now I'm telling you what an answer he's not violating Roman law he's not violating Jewish law let him that's without sin cast the first stone and he just goes back to writing in the sand and when he looks up there's nobody there but her amazing isn't it nobody there could say I've never sinned I've never done anything wrong so so they all left now a lot of folks want to end the story right there but I told the story because Of the way it ties in to this. The story doesn't end with Jesus looking up. And seeing that no one is there. He says woman where are thine accusers? And She says there are none Lord. And he says neither do I condemn thee. And most people want to put a period there and close the story. But Jesus didn't stop with neither do I condemn thee. He said something else didn't he? sin no more woman I know you're guilty I know you've done it I know there is sin in your life I know you are worthy of death but I'm telling you that as of this moment I'm willing to forget it all so long as you change your ways you don't go back to doing what you've been doing you don't go back to committing adultery you don't go back to living that wicked life are you hearing me this morning this is what so many churches have gotten away from they say well you know we're all just sinners saved by grace I was an alcoholic when I came to God but I accepted Christ and I'm still an alcoholic but now I'm a saved alcoholic <laughs> no, it would be funny but they really believe that there are people that I've talked, I'm not making that up. I talk to people that really believe it. I had a man tell me one time. He said, look, I want to tell you something. I've accepted Christ in my life. And if I go out today when I get off work and I get drunk and then I I go and commit adultery with another man's wife and on my way home, I die in a car wreck, I'm going to heaven. There are people that believe that. That's not what the Bible says. But there are people that believe it. Jesus didn't say to the woman, neither do I condemn thee. See you later. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You got a fresh start. You've got a fresh slate. You you, you can begin your life all over again. But this is what I'm telling you, woman. Don't go back to the old lifestyle. And this is what God said to these Jews. They are on the precipice of judgment. But he said, look, I don't care how you've been living. I want you to know that right now, at this moment, if you'll change your ways, if you'll turn around, if you'll start doing what's right, I'm going to forget everything wrong you've ever done. I'm not going to hold any of that against you. I'm giving you a chance to write a brand new record. Oh, friend, I'm telling you, what an opportunity. And I'm telling you that that opportunity is available for everybody under the sound of my voice. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've been guilty of. None of that matters if you change. I said say, preacher, I can't change. You're right, but God can change you you repent of your sins you ask God to forgive you for what you've done that's the first step you've got to admit you have sinned and you've got to ask God to forgive you of those sins and you've got a purpose in your heart that with his help you're not going back to those sins you repent you get baptized in Jesus name You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it is the Holy Ghost that empowers you to not go back to the sinful lifestyle. Again, we'll get into this more. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But we'll get into this more somewhere else here in the book of Ezekiel. We're going to talk about it but this was the whole problem with the jews they had this list of rules and regulations and uh, they they couldn't live it by themselves and so god actually told ezekiel i'm going to change things it's going to be different i'm not going to change but i'm going to i'm going to change the way people approach me i myself are going to remain consistent but your approach to me is gonna be different. It's not gonna be based on a list of rules that were written on tables of stone, but I got another plan. He tells that to Ezekiel we'll see that later on uh, as we continue to study this book but but this is the beautiful part of it all and that is that if you'll change if you'll turn around if you'll repent God is willing God is faithful God is merciful God will will forgive your sins he'll put them as far from you as the east is from the west He said, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. God's not like that um, uh, upset spouse that constantly reminds you what you did wrong. I know none of you are married to anybody like that. Uh, But I have met a few in my day. In fact, I I dealt with a woman one time that, I promise you every time we got in a counseling session, I'm not exaggerating, I'm not making this up, every time we got in the counseling session, she would start reaching back four years, five years, six years, eight years, knew the exact day, knew the date, knew the approximate time of day that the, the incident happened and would remind her husband again and again of what he had done um, i'm so glad god's not like that Amen. Yes, sir. i am so glad god is not like that i'm telling you god and god's the only one who can in fact you know somebody said well you need to forgive and forget the bible doesn't tell us to forgive and forget because you can't forget there is no forget button You know, Wouldn't it be nice if our brains had a delete button like the computer and there were things we could just push a button, boop, it's gone. Oh, wow, wonderful, it's gone. Doesn't work that way. The problem is too many of us would be deleting the wrong things again. You know, it... <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, but we can't forget... But just because we can't forget doesn't mean we have to keep bringing it up. But the good thing about God is that God literally said, I I will remember them no more. God said, I will not just forgive, but I will forget. Now, I know someone later wrote a song that kind of deals with this, but many, many years ago, I heard about a man who had done something wrong. Uh, he knew, you know, he, when he did it, his heart smote him. He knew he shouldn't have done it. And, and he was so taken aback by the fact that he had failed God in this endeavor and and for days for days he would just shut himself in his room and pray and ask God please forgive me of my sin forgive me of my sin I am so sorry that I committed this sin and it went on for days him constantly every day asking God forgive me of this sin and they said finally God spoke to him and simply said what sin And it dawned on him. It was a revelation to him. You know, when I ask him to forgive me, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive. And when he forgives, he forgets. So when God erased it, here's this man praying for days after that. Forgive me of something God didn't even remember him doing. Oh, I'm so glad I serve a God like that. I'm so glad that when I put it under the blood, honey, it's gone. It is gone. It is gone. I might remember it. The devil might remember it. People might remember it. But the one that really counts, the one that's going to judge me on the last day, he doesn't remember it. Hallelujah. It's gone. And God said, I don't care how wicked you've been. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care where you've gone to, what you've done. None of that matters if you'll change. If you'll change, I tell you, I will give you a new lease on life. I'm not going to remember what you used to be. I'm going to remember what you are now. See, here is another eternal principle. Not just Old Testament. It's eternal. And that is it doesn't matter how you start out. It's how you finish that counts. Amen. Praise God. Amen. That's what matters. See, that's why, that's why Jesus said it's he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Not he that starts out really well, you know, and has this ma- major conversion and really gets on fire for God. Oh, I mean, he becomes a Bible thumper deluxe, you know. But then in a few months, in a few years, the passion dies. And he starts going back to the ways. He, God's not going to look at those years that you did all those good and wonderful things. God's going to look at how you finished up. In fact, that's what verse 24 says. Verse 24 says there is another side to this coin. Verses 21 to 23 tell us it doesn't matter how bad you've been. If you'll change, I'm only going to remember how good you are at the end. And I'll forget all the bad prior to the change. Verse 24 then comes along and says, but if you've been good up to a certain point and then you change I will not maybe we better read this verse again but when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth shall he live all his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned in them, shall he die. So God said, you know, there's, there's two sides to this coin. You can start out and be the most wicked person on the face of the earth. Turn! And I won't remember your wickedness. I'll only remember the goodness you ended up with. But the other side of the coin is this. You can be the most holy person on the face of the earth and turn And I will not remember all of your holiness and all of your goodness and all of the righteous things that you did up to that turning point. I will only remember how you ended up. See, I, I remember preaching a message a number of years ago about the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. It is an interesting thing. I think most of us know that there was a time that he made a whip and drove out the money changers from the temple what many of us don't know is that it appears from the scripture that it actually happened twice in his ministry there were two different times he did this one you read about it if you read the book of john you're going to find out that right after his first miracle changing the water to wine immediate after his first minute miracle this is the beginning of his ministry He goes into the temple and drives out the money changers. But then you get to reading the other gospels and you find out that at the end of his ministry, after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, once he gets into Jerusalem, one of the first things he does in Jerusalem, at the end of his, you know, his triumphal entry was the week before he was crucified. And it was after the triumphal entry, he goes back into the temple and drives out the money changers again it happened twice but here was my point it happened in the beginning of his ministry and it happened in the end of his ministry the idea is this he didn't change what he believed starting out is what he believed when he finished up and I'm saying to us we have to be the same way We can't start out on fire for God. Start out, oh, I'm really going to do what's right. I'm really going to. And then turn around and go back to our old ways or decide, well, oh, that's really not necessary. I know, I know, God, that I said I was really going to pray every day. But, you know, life's busy. I'm telling you, it's not how you start out that matters. It's how you finish up. Now, you want to know the real kicker to all this? None of us know when we're going to finish up. We'd, you know, it'd be one thing if, if the day we're born, God gave our parents a certificate and said, you know, they're going to die on such and such a date at age such and such, and this is how, and, and then you know. You know it's, it's kind of like I heard a, a comedian call the makers of some of you may not remember this but some years ago they came out with this deal called life clock and and you could just simply tell if you're male or female and they went by the average whatever the average lifespan of a man was at that time 74 point something years or whatever and you program in your birthday and you tell them i'm a male and and then the clock would start counting down how much time you had left in your life I mean, that's a real encouraging thing. I really want something sitting beside my bed that tells me. Anyhow, I, I don't know. It, obviously, that's why they're not a big hot item still today. It didn't, didn't last long. But I heard this comedian call the company. And he said, I'm very distressed because tomorrow's my birthday. I only have 24 hours left to live. You know, my life clock is telling me I only have 24 hours left. What am I going to do? And... Uh, Anyhow, it was, it was quite the, quite the routine. Uh, we, we don't get that. We don't get a life clock from God. We don't know how many hours and minutes and seconds we have left. I'm telling you, the last year has shown me that more than any other period of my life. I've, I've been to two funerals for my pastor as he's buried two of his children. Both in their early to mid-30s. Dying unexpectedly with heart attacks of all things. Young people. You don't have a guarantee you're going to see tomorrow. You don't know when your race is going to be finished. This is all I can tell you, my friend. You better make sure that you live every day the way you want to finish up. Maybe you didn't get that. I said, you better live every day the way you want to finish up. Because you don't know when that day is going to be the day you finish up. Hallelujah. I want to know that I'm ready. How about you? I want to know that I am ready. I want to know that the way I'm living right now. Lord, if this is my last day, I want to know that the way I'm living today is the way that you're pleased with. That's right. I want you to ask yourself, if today were my last day, could God look at me and say, well done? Because well, He's not going to say well done if you haven't done well. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. So if you haven't done well, he's not going to say, well done. Hallelujah. I want to make sure that I'm doing well. I want to make sure that the way I'm living, that the things I'm doing are pleasing to God. So that when my life is finished, I can finish the way he wants me to now the apostle Paul knew that his race was almost over he knew that it was about to come to an end simply because he was sitting in the prison and he was looking at the chopping block just outside his window and he sat down and wrote a letter to his son in the gospel Timothy and he said I just want you to know this I finished my course I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I'm ready, he said, to be offered. I'm ready. I know my life is going to end any day now. I know it's just a matter of hours and it's over. But I want to tell you this, Timothy, I can go to that chopping block With an assurance. I will have finished this race well. I have fought a good fight. I have no regrets. I have no regrets. Oh, hallelujah. How many of us can say that about our life? How many of us can say what the Apostle Paul did? I want to be able to. I want to be able to. I want to feel that way about the life that I'm living. I want to be able to say, you know, I've been in a fight, but I have fought the fight well. I finished my course. I didn't leave anything undone. There are not things that I wish I could go back and do over or wish that I could go back and complete. There's not somebody that I wish I would have talked to, somebody I wish I would have told about salvation. There's none of that. I finished my course. The path that God laid out for my life, I finished it. I did what God called me to do oh to have that assurance and you know he's a perfect example of Ezekiel 18 because here was a man that was persecuting Christians here was a man that was imprisoning Christians here's a man that was putting Christians to death and yet when he got ready to die he said I've fought a good fight I've kept the faith I've finished my course I'm ready to be off wait a minute Paul what about all that bad stuff you did back there God doesn't remember any of that. God only remembers from the turning point forward. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I want God to see one turning point in my life. I want him to see a turning point in my life. February of 1972. I want, I want that to be the day that it all started for me and everything before that really doesn't even exist. Well praise God. I don't want there to be another turning point somewhere between here and eternity. Once I made that turn toward God, I want to continue on that path. I want to continue in that direction until he calls me home. Anybody else feel that way this morning? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I almost did it. I almost spent the whole morning on that one chapter. And we're not finished yet, so maybe I will end up spending the whole morning on that one chapter. Um, because our time is almost up. There's one more point I want. I told you there were several things that God addressed in Ezekiel 18. One, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Uh, it doesn't matter what your heritage is; you're going to be judged based on your own life. The second principle that's in this book is it doesn't matter how you start; it only matters how you finish. That's an important principle. Third principle ezekiel chapter 18 verses 25 through 29 now this is important to understand we just read 21 to 24 is everybody with me we just read through 24 what has god been saying 21 to 24 he's been saying it doesn't matter how you started it it only matters how you finish take a man that's been wicked all of his life turn around and i'll only judge him for the good at the end a man that's been good all his life who turns around i will only judge him for the bad at the end okay now so god makes this declaration verses 21 to 24 now let's read what they're saying about this in verses 25 to 29
1: yeah you say the way of the lord is not equal here now the house of israel is not my way equal are not your ways unequal When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and dieth in them for his iniquity, that he hath done, shall he die? Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness, that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. Because he considereth, and turneth away from all his transgressions, that he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal, are not your ways unequal? All right, so here's
0: here's what they're saying. God says, it doesn't matter how bad they've been. If they'll turn around, I'll give them grace. And it doesn't matter how good they've been. If they turn around, I'm going to judge them. And so Israel says... The ways of the Lord are unequal, or that word really means unfair. God, that's not fair. That's not fair. We spend all these years living for you and then turn in our last moments and you're going to judge us. You're not even going to count all the good we did? That's not fair. I got to preaching from this passage many years ago and had a man come to me. He was so upset. He said, I want you to know something, preacher. I used to be a soul winner. I used to do this. I used to do all these things. I was a prayer warrior. I was was this and I was that. You're telling me that none of that matters to God? Well, it would matter if you'd keep doing it. look I'm just giving you a Bible I know this is not popular but this is what upset these Jews they said that's not fair that's not fair my children will tell you this was a pet peeve of their father when they would come to me and say but dad that's not fair In fact, they can probably tell you what my response was. My response was, Honey, life's not fair. It's not. Life isn't fair. And let me tell you something else. Like it or not, really, in reality, God's not fair God is just There is a difference You know if God was fair Every one of us would be burning in hell right now That's what's fair That's what we deserve Oh preacher you offend me I'm not that bad Doesn't matter whether you're that bad or not The thing is you're not that good And I'm not either in fact, even the apostle Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Yes, sir. Jesus said, there is none good, no, not one. Yes, sir. But God, God's the only one that's good. So none of us are good enough to go to heaven. And if God was fair, we would all be lost. But he is just. And he is merciful. And he is forgiving. And he is kind. And he is compassionate. Oh, hello. You know, all those things are so much better than fair. That's right. Right. That's a true man. Hallelujah. Maybe I need to preach on this a little bit. You want me to prove this to you? Let me ask you, how fair is it? How fair is it? If I were an employer or ran a business, and tomorrow morning, and, 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 and you folks they are sitting out here in this adult class this morning, you're all unemployed, right? And you're standing at the unemployment line, and this is not prophecy, so don't start getting scared. Um, <laughs> you're standing at the unemployment line, and, and you want to work, and I, I walk up and say, look, I've got work for you, and I want you to come to work for me. And uh, I tell you what, I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay you $50 to work for me today. And so several of you say, yeah, that sounds really good. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Um, and then I go out a couple hours later because we're not getting the work done that I need done. So I go back to this unemployment line and I find some more of you that I didn't hire in the first place. And I say, hey, come come to work for me. And if you'll work for me, I'm, I'm going to pay you. And, okay, all right. And I do this all day. I have to keep going back and getting people. And there are some people that I hire that only work for me one hour. That's all they work, one hour the whole day. Some have been out there for 12 hours. And some just one hour. And I have promised everybody that hired on, I'm paying you today. You get your check today before you leave. You stop by and see me. I give you your check. And the last people I hired, I want to come get your money first. And I write out the people. They only worked one hour now. They only worked one hour. I write them a check. $50. Here's your check. And I make sure everybody in the line knows that's what I paid them. Do you know what fairness would demand? Fairness would demand those that have been working 12 hours would get 12 times that amount. That's fair. But do you know that the Bible says God did that? God called people in at the last hour and paid them exactly what he paid those that had worked all day long. And whether they worked 12 hours or they worked one hour, they all got the same pay. That's not fair. I'm telling you what, our labor boards and, and um, the EEOC and I don't know, everybody, everybody would come down on an employer like that in the United States of America today. But that's the way God paid them. Because God said, I told you when you hired on what you were getting. This is what you agreed to. You agreed to work 12 hours for $50. You agreed to this. I know. But when you paid the guy that only worked one hour the same amount, that's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. But it's just. Hello? That's why, that's why, that's why there are people that are rejoicing in heaven today that never went through the things the apostle Paul went through. They never suffered like he suffered. They didn't work the long hours he worked, but they're enjoying the same heaven. You know, there are people that struggle their whole life to live for God. There are people that every day, every day is a trial. Every day is a battle. Do you know there are people, there are women that have to live with abusive husbands that don't want them living for God. And they will suffer beatings, literal beatings to come to church. And there are people that have died in that condition that every day of living for God was a battle. And then there was my 77-year-old grandmother who lived her whole life the way she wanted to live it. She did what she wanted. But just about two months or three months before she died, she came to church. She repented of her sins. She was baptized in Jesus' name. She received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Can I tell you, she only lived for God about three months? She's in the same heaven today as people that struggled and fought every day for years? Is that fair? No, but it's just. Oh, hallelujah. But this was the argument of the Jews. It's just not right. We've been your people all these years. We've called ourselves Jews all these years. We've been set apart all these years. And now, just because in these last few years we've turned around, you're going to judge us. That's not fair, God. God said, Let me tell you who's not fair. You're not fair. What? How could He tell them they're not fair? I'll tell you how. Because he blessed them every day. God gave them things. God overthrew their enemies for them. God came through every time they cried out to him. Every time they prayed, God was always there. They would backslide and God would send a judge. And God would allow the Philistines or whoever to come against them. And they'd pray, God forgive us. And God would always come to their rescue. And he would no sooner rescue them till they'd turn right around and run right back to their idols and start serving their strange gods. Now, honey, that's not fair. It wasn't fair to God. Expect God to always be there to bail you out of the problems you create. To use the terminology of Elder Vaughn Morton, you scramble your eggs and then expect God to unscramble them. You just can't unscramble eggs. Now, God can. I can't. There's a lot of people there. There are a lot of people that have wanted me to come unscramble eggs that they've gotten totally scrambled. And I, I just can't unscramble your eggs. I'm sorry. They are scrambled. I can't unscramble them. But God can. And God did it for the Jews time after time after time. They got every egg they had scrambled. And God would come around and unscramble them. And you know how they thanked him? I going right back and scrambling again? God said, now look, don't you accuse me of being unfair. Don't tell me I'm not just. Don't tell me I'm not just. I'm telling you, you are not fair to me. I've been there. I've helped you. I've heard you. I've answered your prayers. I've come through for you time and time again. And all I ask, all I ask. That you serve me. That you love me. I would just like to see a little appreciation. That's all. And then you want to turn around and tell me I'm unjust. I'm not unjust. I'm not unjust. You're the ones that are unjust. see their idea and their concept was after all we're the Jews as I said a while ago we're the children of Abraham you ought to treat us better than that God you ought to treat us better we're the Jews we are the Jews you ought to treat us better than that well you know what he's God you ought to treat him better than that and listen to me Apostolics, Pentecostals, Christians—we need to—we need to understand this same mindset can get a hold of us if we're not careful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, look at me—I'm—I'm I'm a Christian. I got a fish on my bumper, you know, my car bumper. I—I I listen to Caleb. I, I look at me—I'm a Christian. I, I carry a Bible. You ought to treat me better. God, you ought to just be pouring out blessings on me. Yeah, and you cheat on your taxes and unfaithful to your spouse. and Can't tell the truth. And you think God owes you something? He died on the cross for you. While you were yet a sinner, he loved you and he died for you. He died for you and he asks you live for him. Don't, don't, don't point a finger at God. You need to point the finger back at yourself. And say, am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I living like God wants me to I need the musicians to come, we, didn't, we, we finished chapter 18, that's as far as we got. I really, I really wanted to at least get through chapter 24, but we'll, we'll lump in these last few chapters here and try to make up some time next week if we can. Hallelujah. I want to tell you God is a just God. He is a loving God. He is a compassionate God. He is a forgiving God no it's not really fair that you can live a righteous life and in your latter days turn around and start living an unrighteous life and be judged as a consequence that's not fair that all those years of righteousness would not be remembered but it's not fair that all the years of wickedness would not be remembered if you decide to turn around and start doing right. That's not fair. But it's just. It's merciful. And I'd rather have mercy than fairness any day. I said, I'd rather have mercy than fairness any day. I want His mercy. I want his mercy. That's what I want. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, his mercy is extended to you in this house today. Let's stand together, everyone. His mercy is extended to you in this house today. Right here, right now, the hand of God reaches out to every individual. God is saying to you, I don't care what you've been. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is. None of that matters to me. I'm willing to start something new with you right now, right here, today. If you'll give your life to me, we'll begin a brand new record today. The choice is yours,
1: the choice is yours.